Hey Watchers, as some of you might know, we are huge Stephen King fans, and we are excited to continue our journey of covering movies based on or written by him. Today's film is the Cokefield directorial debut by the master of horror, and consequently, the last film he ever directed. So with that, buckle your seatbelts and brace for impact because it's time for 1986's cosmic crash derby classic, Maximum Overdrive. Welcome to the Midnight Watch Podcast, the show where we discuss classic, cult, and modern classic movies. We're your hosts, Jeremy and Josh Baruto, and we review movies that are at least 10 years old. Fair warning, we're big on spoilers here, straight from the get-go. We rate these movies in four categories. Number one, the level of impact and success it had when it was released. Number two, how relevant is it today? Number three, our own personal enjoyment of this movie. And number four, is it a Midnight Watch? What is a Midnight Watch? It's a film which completely captures your attention, drawing you in. No matter what time or what part you start watching the movie, you have to finish it. Okay, so today, let's see, we are getting into Maximum Overdrive. Um, This movie is pretty fun to talk about, actually. Um, Okay, so I was actually conflicted about reviewing this movie so early because it is the one and only movie directed by Stephen King. And since, Josh, you and me both really like Stephen King, um, I don't know, this was kind of a... It's kind of a sweet spot, if you know, so I didn't want to spoil it too soon by by us doing the episode too soon. But I think actually starting season two with this is, is pretty good. So, yeah, but, uh, let me I agree. Uh, let's jump into uh, just a little bit of information here. It was released in 1986, directed by Stephen King, written by Sk- Stephen King. The score is by ACDC. And the budget was ten million dollars, and the box office was seven million four hundred thousand. And let's see, it was based off of a short story entitled "Trucks," and they actually remade this movie in nineteen ninety eight, also entitled "Trucks," which I had not heard of that before. We st- I started researching this film. Did you have you ever heard of the remake? No. Well, I don't know. I feel like I'd seen it around, but um, I didn't really pay attention to it until. You know, like you said, researching this film. Oh, gotcha. Let's see. So this movie stars Emilio Estevez, Laura Harrington. Oh, it says Stephen King, but he's really only just got a cameo in this. Holter Graham, right. Pat Hingle, Yardley Smith, John Short, Ellen McD- Ellen McEldruff, and Frankie Faison. And actually, um, no, I'm not going to talk about that yet. So I'm going to skip that part. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> so Josh, where did you see this movie for the first time? Well, that would be uh, just before this podcast, actually. Wait, I had, are you serious? I had, yeah. I had always put it off. Just Okay, well, like I've said before on the show, I didn't always love horror movies. I've loved Stephen King. I should say I've loved his books a lot longer than I loved his movies. Yeah. And so I'm kind of relatively late coming to the loving the horror movie genre party. Uh, probably been really only in the last 10 years before then there were certain you know specific films that I enjoy but otherwise I, otherwise I would not have called myself a horror fan wow let alone a you know or especially a, a classic horror fan I'm definitely a classic one there's still some newer ones that I just not they just don't do it for me but um, in general I, I love them more anyways it really um it was kind of a put off to me or what I thought these movies were to his books. Like I thought they were just terrible other than like 
Shawshank or Green Mile or Stand By Me is, you know, more serious ones. Right. Uh, so this one in particular, and I'd always heard how bad it was, and I knew he was, like, super hopped up on coke, like, 100% of the time he was making this movie. So I just kind of was like, I'm not going to waste my time. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> That's then a- um, I watched it recently. Wow, that's amazing! I since you're, I would say you're a bigger Stephen King fan than I am, uh, and so that that just really shocks me because I saw this movie like literally 10, 11 years ago, something like that. Man, it's probably longer than that, and I thought it was horrible. I at the time I was like, it needs to be super true to the story, which I did read the short story on this. Have you read the short story? Uh, I just on Wikipedia. Well, that's not true. I know I've read it before because it was in his first. Uh, uh, collection right i don't remember whatever you want to call i don't remember which book it was in i just remember i did i it must have been one of his earlier ones because i did read this right i i'm sure i did too that's the thing because when i was looking at it on wikipedia just trying to refresh myself on on the story i was like okay i know i've read this i think it's the same book that has lawnmower man in it as well and maybe i think you're right yeah it's on the night shift and i know i've read that one but that's like you said being a big fan and and i (laughs) I really got into you got me into him. I remember you gave me um, Needful Things and Thinner, and I just man, I tore the covers off those things. I read them so fast, oh, and then yeah. I was just absolutely hooked. And I read like everything I could get, you know, from the library or you know, finding paperback books at work, whatever I could do. I was you know buying them, whatever. I was read as much as I could. So I know I ripped through a bunch of his short story collections, and unfortunately, when you're when you're reading that fast you don't always retain everything but like, yeah i'm sure i've read it oh that's awesome so were you saying need, needful things and thinner those were your first stephen king books that you ever read yeah wow oh that's awesome i think for me it was uh from a buick eight and then after that i think i read the gunslinger which was a bad choice i feel like yeah it, yeah <laughs> i don't get me wrong i did enjoy the dark tower series i finally read the entire series last uh last year actually but yeah, no, it's kind of it's it's definitely different King flavor versus from a Buick Eight is kind of more of the staple key, Stephen King that you expect. So sure, and it's it's newer too. I think he wrote that in the nineties. Yeah, I think our late nineties or something. I think that's why I jumped in on it because it was his newer one. So I was I was like, oh, this right. is going to be good. Which is funny. This actually um, older Stephen King books. Uh, they they're written different than of course newer Stephen King books. It's he's the same the same author, but you feel. He's definitely gotten better. Like he's evolved uh, more, and so I mean, I'm not s- saying that all of right. his. I mean, that is that is controversial because there are people that hate his new stuff and think only his you know only his good stuff is the the early stuff. But I, he just evolved as a writer, and you just I I love all of it, man. I I feel like each you know sec- segment of his life was interesting because you can definitely tell. You know, his confidence or his addictions or what, whatever's kind of going on in his life was definitely coming out in the books a little bit. Oh, yeah. Or a lot. No, I agree. I think that's the thing that people maybe that um, might not like the new stuff as much is because it's not as crazy as the stuff that was in like the 80s and because obviously he had some serious drug addictions at that time, which brings us back to right. this movie. And as you pointed out in the the beginning of this, that, yeah, Stephen King was potentially coked out of his mind the entire time he was making this movie. And uh, he's very open about that. A little bit controversial, though, because there is a rumor that George Romero actually ghost-directed most of this film. Because uh, George Romero was on set, 
a lot of the time, and Stephen King was asking him how to do different things. And then apparently, um, when he went to actually go, Stephen King went to go get help for his cocaine addiction. And so it it it's not proven, but it, uh, George Romero was there on set a lot of the times because they were they were buddies at that time. Right. I thought that was yeah. I knew they all those all those like classic horror guys. For the most part, they seem like they were kind of a cool little group of people i know man i would have loved to have been able to sit down and talk to george romero it's just i just the older i get the more i appreciate his films dude so, for real mm-hmm. yeah i used to i i mean i guess it's just my growth as a cinephile or whatever you want to call it but yeah i used to hate his stuff i used to thought it was so terrible and now i'm just you know i really get what he was doing and yeah really appreciate just the you know the groundbreaking work he did yeah, no, he had a lot of really smartly written movies, which I well, I'm kind of surprised we haven't. We need to get on that. We need to re- review one of his films pretty soon. I know. So it looks like you know what's funny. We reviewed Silver Bullet, which came out the year before this, actually. And so Stephen King was kind of on a. Um, he was his movies were were pretty hot at the time. And so in 1986, Maximum Overdrive came out, which he considers to be one of his the worst movie that, uh, based off of his work. I think that he's more critical just because he directed it. Because I think a lot of it, there's a lot of other oh, Stephen totally. King movies that are way worse than this. But absolutely, yeah, I think you're you are your own worst critic, and I think that's a hundred percent what happened here with him you know just owning the whole project right which i'm kind of disappointed that he disowned it i'm like dude it's a it's a great terrible movie like it's just it is it's such a b movie it's actually on i, I was reading into it and apparently it's labeled as an as a comedy a horror comedy and i i didn't right. ever think of it as that i just thought it was a bad horror movie but there is some pretty funny stuff in this movie but um right yeah so the same year though stand by me came out which kind of redeemed him in story-wise since that movie a lot of people like that movie so oh yeah that was amazing then again that's that's one that i loved way before i loved any of his horror movies or you know movies based off his work or horror wise it's funny he's really he's known for his horror horror movies but he is just a great author like his stuff that's not horror a lot of people don't even know it's him because they enjoy it so much so yeah he is a, that is why i love him he is to me he is an absolute master storyteller yeah who cares about what the scary thing is or the you know the frightening thing is in his stories it, it could be a demon possessed toaster it doesn't right. matter because his characters are so engaging and the the landscape and the everything he paints about it is so amazing and just draws you in. It doesn't matter what is coming after them or what they have to try to overcome. And with it being a horror landscape, then your your audience is expecting anything to go down. Like they're they're open for whatever. It's not like oh, this got a little too intense. I'm not used to this. It's like no, if you're gonna go see a horror right. movie, you know what you're in for. And so I think that kind of gives you like open borders to really dive into like the human soul and just different things that that people deal with like Mike Flanagan is a director is is who's directed several of Stephen King's new newer things he is really really good at uh, work working about grief and so mm. with that like I just feel like sometimes you can't get into certain human emotions as deep as you can in the horror genre which is one reason why I really enjoy it is it just kind of lets you really get out and explore the, the the dark side of the human psyche, but then also, too, like, just the deep side of 
the um, sometimes emotions and things that we f- that we feel, right. and it's not exactly easy to talk about. But in in the horror genre, you can really dive into that and just like, just really get into it. Like for example, I know we haven't talked about the haunting of Hill House, but when you and me were both obsessed with that show, and that was kind of right. cathartic for me with um, our mom passing away a few years ago, just on how they deal with grief, and that's a horror show, and that actually like help me to process yeah. some grief on on that. And so that's I think Stephen King though is just he is like you said excellent at tapping into human emotion and writing characters really well so it doesn't matter exactly what's going on in the story you're connected to the characters. Yeah. And so 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. Before we get away too far, uh, we should probably get that synopsis. Yeah. And, Let's uh, do it. It's a doozy, folks. It's a it's a doozy. Here we go. Really? Thank There's, you, Wikipedia. Like nothing happens in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. Just raw, unfettered chaos. Here we go. <laughs> As the Earth crosses the tail of a comet, previously inanimate machines suddenly spring to life. An ATM insults a customer, who happens to be Stephen King, and a drawbridge or a bascule bridge rises during heavy traffic, causing all vehicles upon the bridge to fall into the river or collide. Chaos sets in as machines of all kinds begin attacking humans. At the Dixie Boy truck stop just outside Wilmington, North Carolina, employee Duncan Keller is blinded after a gas dispenser sprays diesel in his eyes. Waitress Wanda June is injured by an electric knife, and arcade machines in the back room electrocute a customer. Uh, the cook and paroled ex-convict Bill Robinson begins to suspect or begins to suspect something is wrong. Meanwhile, at a little league game, a vending machine kills the coach of a team by firing canned soda point blank at him. A driverless cement roller flattens one of the fleeing children, but Deke, who is Duncan's son, manages to escape on his bike. A newlywed couple, Connie and Kurt, stop at a gas station where a brown tow truck tries to kill Kurt. But he and Connie escape in their car. Deke rides through his town as humans and even pets are brutally killed by lawnmowers, chainsaws, electric hair dryers, pocket radios, RC cars, and even an ice cream truck. At the Dixie Boy, a black Western Star 4800, sporting a giant green goblin mask on its grill, runs over Bible salesman Camp Lohman after a red garbage truck kills Duncan. Later, several big rig trucks encircle the truck stop. Meanwhile, Connie and Kurt are pursued by a truck, but they make it crash off the side of the road as it explodes. They arrive at the truck stop and try to pass between the trucks, but their car is hit and overturns. Bill and Brett Graham, a pretty hitchhiker, rush to help them, but the trucks attack them. The owner, Bubba Hendershot, uses M72 law rockets he had stored in a bunker hidden under the diner to destroy many of the trucks. Deke makes it to the truck stop later that evening and tries to enter via the sewers, but is obstructed by the wire mesh covering the opening. That night, the survivors hear Loman screaming in a ditch, and Bill and Kurt sneak out to help him by climbing through the sewers. Deke finds Loman and believes he is dead, but he suddenly jumps up and attacks Deke. Bill and Kurt rescue Deke, and a truck chases them back into the pipe. The next morning, a Caterpillar D7G bulldozer and an M274 mule drive to the truck stop. The former pushes Hendershot's Cadillac inside. The angered owner uses the rocket launcher to blow up the bulldozer. The mule fires its post-mounted M60 machine gun into the building, killing several people including Hendershot and Wanda June. 
The mule then demands, via sending Morse code signals through its horn, that Deke ciphers that the humans pump the truck's diesel for them in exchange for their lives. The survivors soon realize they have become enslaved by their own machines. Bill suggests they escape to a local island just off the coast on which no motorized vehicles are permitted. While the crew is resting, Bill theorizes that the comet is actually a broom operated by interstellar aliens that are using our machines to destroy humanity so the aliens can repopulate the Earth. During a fueling operation, Bill sneaks a grenade into the mule vehicle, onto the mule vehicle, destroying it, then leads the party out of the diner via a sewer hatch to the main road, just as the trucks demolish the entire truck stop. The survivors are pursued to the docks by the Green Goblin truck, which manages to kill trucker Brad when he falls behind. Bill destroys the truck with a direct hit from an M72 Law rocket shot. The survivors then sail off to safety. A title card epilogue explains that two days later, a UFO was destroyed by a Soviet, in quotations, weather satellite, conveniently equipped with a Class 4 nuclear weapons and laser cannon. Six days later, the Earth passes out of the comet's tail, and the survivors are still alive. So Boy, I, that was yeah, that was one of the worst write-ups from Wikipedia. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, and that that was actually a better explanation of the plot than the movie itself. Yeah, <laughs> we could wow, start saying something. We could start off right right off the bat right now. Like this movie is bonkers. It is all over the place. Oh, yeah. The ACDC definitely it was Stephen King's personal soundtrack. I think at the time, <laughs> but right. um, they there's there's literally no horror music in it except for like this little the psycho sound of like right 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 right. Besides that, it's just all ACDC music, which really kills the mute the mood for uh, a horror feeling for the movie. Right. And, but as far as like a thrill ride of just craziness, it's awesome. Yeah. It is absolutely one of the coolest things about this movie. Yeah. Now this this movie is straight up uh this is a is this is a B movie trying to be an A movie? I don't even know if it was trying to be an A movie because there's so much like okay, so a lot of the different dialogue in this movie is straight up king. It definitely sounds like dialogue from his books and right. but some of it especially doesn't, his early books. Right, but some of it doesn't transfer to movies very well uh, if that makes any right. sense and so oh, yeah and so like some of it's just it just it's crazy sounding like there's so many little one-liners in this movie where they're you're like how, they just put like three words together as an insult for somebody and so it was it's pretty funny though but right I, I well did, i think some of that i think some of that to be fair because i mean emilio estevez he's he's a good actor oh yeah or i should say he's not a he's not a bad actor i'll put it that way no, um, I, I wouldn't. Whatever people think about it, and so I think a big part of that is even though the dialogue might have been okay, but if King was the one doing the directing, that might have just been part of it right there, where he they just they just didn't have good directing as far as how to deliver the line. Oh yeah, the way he had it in his head, you know, or the way that it would have come out perfect for him on paper. Oh yeah, no, definitely. I don't, um, I don't fault the actors at all. Like, uh, there's, there's, I mean, there's good acting and bad acting in this movie. But like you said, no, I think this definitely, this was, I think it was very clearly like they were. There's several like goofy parts in it, and so it just. They also too though, like halfway through the movie, they can't figure out what to do with the plot. They're like, obviously, you know, they need to, yeah. they need to escape eventually, but they don't talk about escaping. They don't talk about anything. And then, like when the trucks are finally like, hey, we need you guys to refill us, uh, then they're like, okay, yeah, we'll go ahead and do that. And then there's like that montage of them working hard all day, filling up trucks, 
right. then and then like uh, just like literally a little bit later like they try to the trucks go right back into trying to kill them all so it's just that that didn't really make sense so i guess and i, I do love though how emilio estovich and yeah and he's like all sweaty and he's about about barely staying awake because he's just so dehydrated and he's like i think it right. was ufos doing the like a broom and i was just like okay they had like you know he's He's delirious, and then at the end of the movie, they're like, "By, by the way, yeah, that's exactly what happened." <laughs> exactly what happened. <laughs> so, I it yes, was, it was too funny. There's there is a lot of parts in this movie that oh man, this is another great film to watch with friends and like to just have it oh, on. Hundred percent. Yeah. There's just so many little things about this movie that is just actually a lot of fun. I definitely think yeah. this. I think this is one of his one of the better bad Stephen King movies in that this is actually enjoyable. It's fun to watch. I agree. Because it's bad. I agree. And I think too, and I, I guess I see this from maybe his point of view. If you went into this expecting a great quality Stephen King movie as in, you know, a legit piece of film that's respected by critics and whatnot, of course you're going to be disappointed. But I, I knew about this movie, so I knew what to expect. I can't even say I had the bar lowered. I was, ex- I wanted a hot dumpster fire. So that's, you know, and I can't even say it was a dumpster fire because there was a lot of it. It's just it's a great B movie. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's um, actually the car crashes and stuff in this are pretty fun. Which again, co- oh yeah, cocaine. You know, like that's just- right. Well, I gotta say too, I feel like the 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 bridge scene where the cars are just piling up and falling everywhere. Yeah, that does. Just as I was thinking, as you were talking about Romero really helping him out, it to me that does have a strong Romero kind of vibe when you yeah. look at his his older, um, uh, you know, zombie movies or early zombie movies. Yes. Uh, I was watching um, The Crazies the other day and a lot of those just crashes and just kind of the way that the driving is done and everything, it just, it kind of gave me that fun of, kind of a vibe too. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I reround the the bridge scene several times because there's a couple stunts in that scene. I was like, is that a dummy or is that a real person that goes through the windshield? I know. And I yeah. think it's a real person. But I think so too. Because I know exactly the scene you're talking about. Yeah, I was like, that's a pretty brutal like, scene. Like, actually, I'm impressed on the the stunt work on that scene it's just yeah right that, that was i was like oh wow that's actually really intense and unfortunately though that does set if you've never seen this movie before it's right at the beginning of the film and it sets the bar higher of like oh this is actually kind of creepy because there's no right. no music and then when there is music it's like more upbeat so itself they could have actually kind of gone with a birds type of um, feeling where there's no music in the birds and Alfred Hitchcock was just building suspense by us not knowing what's happening and, and uh, just like the camera qu- cuts in that. But right. uh, but uh, they didn't. I feel like this was actually versus Queen, uh, I think actually really helped the Flash Gordon movie with this one. Oh, right. I think AC- as far as the rock and roll soundtrack. Yeah, and I think ACDC really um, hindered actually some of it because you definitely need sure. you need some other type of music in it besides just the rock and roll music. Right. But if you know Stephen King, he is 100% a rock and roll guy. And so yeah. this is like this is perfect. This is this is the movie I would say at least in that time in his life, I think it's it seems like if I could say this is the movie he would want to make. I mean, it's it's all the craziness, it's just big explosions, it's, you know, he's one of his very favorite bands, you know, wrote the entire soundtrack for him. Yeah. And it's I mean fun. that's that's him. Which I mean, if you read his books, a lot of times there is a there there's a ton of music being sung 
or the lyrics are kind of you know peppered throughout the entire book. So he's very much you can tell he's got rock and roll just going through his head all the time. I gotta say it has maybe at this point my favorite uh, King cameo. Oh yeah, when he's uh, when he's at the <laughs> ATM and it starts. It starts it's not like, responding to him, and he's all, all like, "Sugar buns, <laughs> this machine called me an asshole." <laughs> oh, yeah, yes. that, that 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 as well is yeah is definitely I think the best so far is the, yeah I agree it's the best King cameo for sure. Oh, uh, what I was gonna say, this movie was marketed though to be like a really strong horror movie. Like if you watch the trailer, Stephen King's just talking to the audience, saying like, "Hey, I'm Stephen King." This is my first directorial movie, and I thought to myself, if you want a Stephen King movie or a Stephen King story told right, then you got to do it yourself. And he says that like two times in the trailer, and it's the trailer's cut to look really scary, and you don't really know what's going on in the in the trailer. So you're like, I want to check that out. And then you watch the movie, and it's just freaking bonkersville from like the very beginning. You know, like the whole like right right, right before the Stephen King cameo and the cameras going in, you see like on the the screen on the on the um. The building where it's, it says like the name of the building, all of a sudden it changes and it's like, F you, F you. <laughs> and it's just right. like little things like that is funny. But the this movie doesn't follow its own rules though, because there's so many cars no. that, <laughs> that don't become sentient. There's so many little electronic devices that don't do anything. And yep, I was going to say, for sure. <laughs> it's funny. But you know what's funny too though? This movie was edited hardcore, like censored. There was a, a lot more gore that was going to be like almost every single kill. There's an extended gore shot and it was dramatically edited down because the MPAA oh, wow. thought that it was too violent, which is kind of funny because I do. I will say some of the gore scenes are surprising uh, yet again because there's no music leaving, leading up to like the kill stuff. Like, for example, when the steamroller comes out of nowhere, it starts rolling over right. the, the kids. And it kills kids, <laughs> yeah. which is that's kind of a. That's kind of a, I don't know, it's still sort of a taboo thing. I mean, there's two, very... Uh, yeah, there's two taboos in it. There's pets that get killed in this movie. Like, right. Apparently, that's off screen, but like you get the idea, though. Like They're just going on a murderous rampage, which is pretty crazy. Okay. Right. But yeah, killing pets and kids, man, that's... Uh, Normally, dark stuff. Yeah, even in Independence Day, like they didn't kill kids, and the dog makes it, <laughs> right. and makes it to safety, even though thousands of humans die. Who cares about that? Right, but so, especially, but especially like innocent kids, because obviously kids can be, you know, the the scary thing in a horror movie. But right, this actual like innocent kid bystander, and they show it get rolled over. <laughs> oh, like, and so, wow! And so that part actually, the the dummy that they rolled over, the the way that the head exploded, it just like it exploded outward and like was really graphic and Stephen King loved it. And that was one of the scenes he fought for a lot to keep in the movie, but eventually they had to cut that out because of it be, of it being a kid instead of a, um, an adult. Right. So that's pretty hilarious. We got to We got to talk about real quick. Um, uh, somebody that went on to have a pretty amazing career actually. And that was uh, only, I think he only has one line in this movie, but it's uh, Giancarlo Esposito who is just blowing up right now. He's been around forever, but now, I mean, he was in Breaking Bad. That was his big breakout. And then now he's the main villain in The Mandalorian. And Right. Yeah. I just was watching him where he's the... Did you recognize him in the movie? No, I'm trying to think now. Dude, he was the, the... He was the guy inside the game room. Oh, my gosh. He's so, wow, he's dude. so young, and I was like, wait a minute. Is that... Is that uh, 
what's his name? And then like he was like, your mama. And then like packing up. (laughs) (laughs) Stealing all this stuff and then gets electrocuted. Dude, I can't believe I missed that. Yeah, that dude is huge right now. He is probably the biggest villain in film and TV today. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's in. I looked over his what he's been in. He's been in stuff like all over the place. He was in Mandalorian. Um, he, he was in Miami Vice. He was in Do the Right Thing. He was in, of course, uh, Sesame Street, and then the the classic Chupacabra Terra, which I have not seen, <laughs> but that sounds amazing. But he's he's, a, he's in the Boys. He's like the one of the main bad guys in the Boys. Yeah, he's. I mean, break, um, Breaking Bad was when it was his breakout hit. Like that was the oh movie, for sure the one where you were just like, oh my gosh, Gus who is Fring. this actor? Fring, Fring, yeah. yeah. And it just yeah, it was just a, uh, amazing seeing him in such a young role. I mean, he's barely in the movie, but I was just like, oh my gosh, that's the villain right. from the Mandalorian. So it is always cool when you see. I mean, I not to judge his earlier work, but. I love seeing an actor really come into their own when they're older, which typically back in the day, it's like those are when, you know, actors would start getting lesser roles and kind of get put out to pasture, you know. And then you got, you know, a guy like him who is, like you said, absolutely crushing it in the, you know, what's going to be looked at as the, you know, the later part of his career. Right. Exactly. Like, yeah, he's a lot older now and he is killing it. He's one of the hottest names right now, I would say, um, that even if people don't know his name, that they would they would be they'd recognize him. They're like, oh, I I remember that guy. Okay, let's see here. So glad you pointed him out. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, there's another there's another celebrity in this movie, too. And that's Yeardley Smith. So I I had to look her up because I was like, this this lady has such a unique voice. Like what? Is, she's got to be in something else. That is the voice of Lisa Simpson from The Simpsons. Ah, okay. Yeah. So I, she actually, too, sadly, has disowned this movie as well. She said that it was like uh, she was very embarrassed by her acting in this movie. I thought she was so annoying in this film, but in like the best way, though. Like she's just sure. she is hilarious, and I love the scene where she's like. Uh, her husband's like, I need to go outside. I need to help. And she's like, no, you're not going outside. And he's like, I have to. And she's like, no. And he's like, yes. And she's like, she just looks at him and she's like, don't make me a widow on my wedding day. And he's just dry pan, deadpan. He's just like, okay. And then like, (laughs) they move on. Oh yeah. The romance in this movie is, is hot and heavy. Um, Uh it's, it's a pretty intense. No, I'm just totally kidding. There is no romance in this movie. It literally like Brett the the hitchhiker. She looks at Emilio Estevich and she's just like, "You're cute." And he's like, "Am I? <laughs> How?" <Right. laughs> and then, and um, <laughs> I know he was hot stuff in the '80s, but there's no okay. The thing that's funny and the reason the reason I I like this movie so much is because it's horrible, uh, a horrible Stephen King adaption. And since Stephen King did it himself, it just makes it even better. Right. Like the writing is terrible. It's just it's bad. Like I would definitely yeah. but but that makes it actually so much fun. And so I would definitely definitely put this movie over several of the because there's some really bad Stephen King adaptions, specifically for TV. And right. the, this one definitely is in a higher tier for me. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this before as far as like disaster pieces, and I think this is absolutely one. 
oh yeah, like it was meant to be something else, and then over time, this movie has has a reputation as of being a bad movie, and it's totally a cult classic, especially for the the people that like bad movies and, and that people that like Stephen King. Like we're we're right. just now starting to really get into the the bad Stephen King movies, which is going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely, yeah. Let me look real quick and see. Oh yeah, and so the, it's interesting because of this movie actually that Evil Dead became a franchise. So you remember since Stephen King was actually when the first they were trying to get people to watch the Evil Dead, and Stephen King actually finally saw it, and then he he said he really enjoyed it. So they used that actually as advertisement for people to watch the movie, and so it kind of blew up because of him saying that he liked it. They used that line all over the posters. And so he heard that they were trying to make the Evil Dead 2, which came out the year later. And because he was working with uh, Dino De Laurentiis on several films, he actually uh, was able to connect them together. So then they got funding to make Evil Dead 2. So because of Stephen King, Evil Dead 2 was made. Otherwise, they may not have been able to get the funding for it. Right. That is pretty amazing. I didn't know that. That is super amazing. Well, and it just it kind of goes back to what I said earlier about that early horror community. Uh, There's a lot of. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. I feel like, again, I'm kind of new here, but it just seems like there's a little bit more, uh, a little more unity in that uh, community than maybe in other genres or I don't know. I, I think because at the time, too, it was still there was a lot of stigma against horror movies because there was definitely a huge resurgence in the early 80s, late 70s for horror movies to go to really go mainstream because before that you had grindhouse house flicks which that was kind of sure that was anything goes like gratuitous nudity lots of extreme gory scenes i mean all of it looked really fake but it was just like you you needed as much gore and nudity as possible and then the late 870s of course you had um halloween came out and then it's funny though like john carpenter and sean cunningham were good friends and then sean cunningham of course would come in later and do friday the 13th which really cemented that the the slasher genre was here to stay and and then yeah like you said like george romero and stephen king worked together many many times throughout the years and um yeah of course seeing sam raimi come up with the evil dead series like he didn't i mean besides evil dead he didn't really do other stuff but yeah i agree there's just there was i think a lot of it was just like they're almost like not independent filmmakers but they're they're almost like but it kind of it does it feels like that to me though it just feels like they were really well they're kind of like guerrilla filmmakers they're just like yes yeah yeah. and that i think is where the fun is because everybody to me it seemed like a lot to me it seems like everybody on the films wanted to make these movies and that was exciting you know and then Obviously, now you've got horror movies that come out a dime a dozen because it, the horror genre is so big and it's here to stay. But the horror community itself is normally like it's pretty inclusive, which is it's fun. It's like we a lot of us know that right. we're here just to have fun and to explore all kinds of different things. So, right. Yeah. I think I, inclusive is a good word for that, for sure. Yeah. And it, it's pretty amazing. So the one thing about this movie too is uh, somebody actually almost died while they were filming this movie. The at the end when the ice cream truck is headed towards them, which is kind of funny. It's like such a elongated scene. They cut out. They cut out another scene. There's a the ice cream guy is actually in the truck, but he's dead in the truck. And so they like you just start to see the outline of him, and then they cut it out, uh, uh, and you can't see it. But when they shoot okay. the rocket at it and they and it explodes, it the the actual 
that stunt went wrong and it flipped the truck off of the the trajectory course and it almost killed um, a cameraman. There was a guy that actually pulled a cameraman out of the way at the last second, but he almost got oh wow like, totally got nailed by the ice cream truck. So that was Dang. pretty crazy. It there were several actual machines that malfunction on set so there was people who were like oh is this actually happening for real but <laughs> I, I thought that was pretty interesting like a, for example a lawnmower actually that was totally malfunctioned and then like ended up hurting somebody because it just was like it went off track again and just started doing its own thing so wow yeah. there you go well uh this one Everything we got possessed right maybe it was well you know actually so that brings in another thought like if they really thought through the idea of like this is actually aliens that are trying to take over the world that would have been actually a really interesting and intriguing reveal instead of a last last minute thought because in the story if i remember correctly in the short story there's not aliens the 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 machines just malfunction and it's kind of a dread feeling of like life as we know it is over and it's like a post-apocalyptic sort of feeling and in the movie though they're just kind of they throw in that ufo thing at the end but i actually think if they expanded on that that would have been really interesting they could they could remake this movie and have it be like an actual really intense social commentary and then like have it turn into just a nutso sci-fi movie which i think would be pretty cool because for example uh tommy knockers is of like a fantastic alien invasion movie i just our book love that book right yeah i love the book too so that would be interesting if they actually had gone that direction because he has written about aliens before so anyways yeah yeah do you got anything else that you want to drop into this uh, movie not really i mean it's we've talked so much just about stephen king in general on this episode i mean i would i would love to see him take another stab at filmmaking even if he could just uh, i don't know not i don't want to say swallow his pride but just look at the work that he did on this and then just go have fun making a movie. Just be like, whatever it is, here you go. It's it's just a fun ride. You know, I wish he would take another stab at it. Of course it would be very different not being on, uh, cocaine and, and drinking anymore. So, but yeah, yeah, I would love to see what, uh, what he could come up with. Well, I know he's interested in directing another movie because of that. Cause he has a lot more experience, um, under his belt. And of course he's, he doesn't have a, He's sobered up. He's not using drugs anymore. And he's just older. And so a lot more experience. And I think also having that near-death experience that happened in, I can't remember what year it was, like 2003 or four, where he almost died. And Yeah, when he got hit by that. Yeah. He was walking on the side of his road. Yeah, I think Philly Rowling was there to help him and to save him. Right. But, um, <laughs> but it just, um, I think that just kind of... It really, you could, his writing before and after that accident, I feel like is there's definitely like a different feel to it, and I just think it would be really fascinating to see him do that. I don't know though if he could. It's funny, his products make so much money, whether they're good or bad, you know. But he right. lost money on this movie, and so I don't know if somebody would want to chance it again, you know, if that makes sense. So yeah, I hear you. We'll we'll see, but. Um, let's see. I just want to look and see if there's anything else I wanted to talk about with this film. I will say um, I'm I'm excited. There's a bunch of new bunch of new movies and stuff coming out based off of his his books. There looks like they're remaking the Salem's Lot, and then they're finally making Revival, which is going to be directed by Mike Flanagan. That's going to be awesome. And oh wow! 
Then it looks like they're potentially Edgar Wright might be remaking The Running Man, which would be freaking awesome if that happens. Wow. Yeah. And then that's also, intriguing. Yeah. And then also um, James Wan is interested in making Tommyknockers, which, um, like I said, love the book, and I don't think that 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 book has seen justice yet on movie-wise or even TV or anything like that. So James Wan, though, who just seems to be unstoppable with making all kinds of different movies, you know, started with the Saw series. Then he's done things just as Aquaman, Furious 7. Very strong horror director. So that would just be awesome to see him take a crack crack at the kink. That one has such a good sci-fi vibe, too. It does. And they could really expand on it, too. Yeah, I think that's about it. Let's roll into... Uh, let's roll the final verdicts on this one. So, Sounds Josh, good. do you think that this movie, <laughs> I think this movie knocked it out of the park when it first came out? Well, Jeremy, I uh, I feel fairly safe and confident that I can say that this is an absolute F when it came out. <laughs> yes, I don't think it could have scored any worse. Uh, definitely not any better. It was not what people were expecting or had been led to believe the you know the product was going to be <laughs> i 100 percent agree they really marketed up that stephen king is the director of this movie he's on like half of the posters and oh i forgot to say um, so the soundtrack to this movie is of course by acdc and there's limited printings of it actually saying the soundtrack of maximum impact they got the uh, maximum overdrive they got to the point where acdc just they re-released the soundtrack but just as a new acdc album because it pretty much as is an album yeah, yeah. It, it pretty much is. And so I think that's hilarious, though. That they're just like, nah, we need to we need to just distance ourselves from, from this right. movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. No, I agree with you. It was totally an F. It was a stinker. It did not do good. Um, is it still relevant today? Uh, see, this is... We've come into this uh, situation several times recently on the show where it's... As far as its cult classic status goes... Uh, I mean, it's, I don't know, man. It's got to be right there in the C level, I would think. I mean, we everybody knows it's bad, but that's why so many people love it now. Right. Um, I I really don't know if I were to guess, I'd say somewhere around a C. Yeah, I'm. So. Yeah, it's not like when you think of Stephen King movies, um, you don't think of this one, but but then when you think of bad Stephen King movies, this movie is definitely up there as like one of the more famous ones. Because you know how Silver Bullet kind of create or kind of walks the line of is it a bad movie, is it a good movie? That um, versus this movie is like a hundred percent. Nobody watched this movie and they were like, wow, this movie is definitely a piece of art. And so like people love this movie because it's so bad. So. Yeah, I, I definitely say it's probably not relevant anymore, but it definitely has a cult following to it. So yeah, I'd, I honestly, I I want to rate it higher, but I give it a D because I just yeah. don't I don't think that it's it's very relevant today. But I definitely re- yeah. So see, yeah, we- that was that was actually my first thought when I when I, as soon as I had finished watching the movie and I put my my ratings down because sometimes it changes the more I sit and think about it, or even right. after we have our discussion, I'll kind of evolve mine a little bit, but. That was actually my first, um, I gave it a D plus initially, but yeah, it's just, yeah, it's kind of, I, I totally agree. It's kind of tough to rate that one because in the whole sk- scheme of things, pro- the, the average moviegoer has not heard of this movie, but then you get into the, the horror community and, uh, they, you have heard of this movie and then you can get into cult horror movies and like, you've definitely heard of this movie. So, right. yeah. Well, that kind of brings us right into enjoyment. What do you give it? Oh man, I gotta give it a B. It's just a, it's a fun movie. It's, it's, 
it's so bad. It's like it's laughable uh, at how bad it is. Like especially like at the end when they're about to escape on the boat, and then this guy is like randomly like, "Oh, there's this chick hanging out of this car with her. I'm gonna go steal her wedding ring." And then like right. he, he apparently he was deaf because the <laughs> the truck diesel trucks oh, yeah. are not quiet, and that thing no. was like was like was a beast. It was like easily far away, and he just turns around. And he's like. Oh, they had to get that final kill in there, and it was of course. so funny because it was so it not, was, not earned. It felt like an afterthought kill. Definitely like, oh, yep, we should probably put one in. Here we go. Yeah. Oh, it's bad. Um, I definitely feel like this movie kind of actually runs out of steam like three fourths of the way through, and then they finally decide, hey, we should probably we should probably leave, and then again it gets moving again. But this movie doesn't feel like it has any direction, which to its credit though is kind of. It's kind of more fun that way because it's yes. just it's just random and you're like why are we following this like uh, this uh, kid as he's riding around I guess we're just seeing a different oh it turns out he's uh, his his dad uh, that was his dad that that got killed there but it doesn't really matter like none nothing <laughs> matters in this movie right. Uh, uh, right. My favorite character, though, I think one of my favorite characters is just the waitress who just keeps flipping out. And she's like, we made you. We made you. Right. And she just like you get the idea. She's supposed to be having like a mental breakdown. But it's just so bad that you're <laughs> you're just. Yeah, it's, it's bad. There's so many dumb people in this movie. Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that, uh, that gives yourself? me that. Uh, I am definitely with you. It, it's it was absolutely a, a B for me. It, it's got everything that I love about, well, a lot of the things I should say that I love about Stephen King. I mean, other than the fact that the character sucked on this, which is very not Stephen King. I know. It hit right? everything else. It's got, it had the killer rock and roll soundtrack. It's got baseball in it. It's got cars. It's got um, explosions. And I mean, it's, it's so many explosions. Oh my gosh. The practical effects in this movie. Holy crap. I mean, you can definitely see where they spent the budget. I mean, right. Just the amount of destruction to all these vehicles, it's incredible. So, I mean, it's its worth watching for that, just to see how many cars get destroyed and explosions and everything. So, it was it was absolutely a thrill ride in that regard. So, it's a solid B for me. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny, too, that the Dixie Boy was apparently, the set was so well constructed that there were several truckers that actually tried to stop there and they finally had to put up a sign saying that they were filming a movie and that like people weren't allowed on the property which i <laughs> which is which is hilarious oh and too in the the whole the, the main i would say the main antagonist the the green goblin truck yeah. uh, it was destroyed and then somebody found it in the junkyard and they actually rebuilt the entire thing and so every now and then like they'll they'll bring it to different Stephen King conventions and you can take pictures of it it's just like it's a privately oh, owned cool. yeah and I was like that's really cool because that's such a like iconic you see that in like it's in the trailer it's in the picture the posters and you're right. like oh that's from Maximum Overdrive and right. which, which is funny because the, the story of course that's not in there. The story is really short, and it's yeah, the story is actually really creepy. Like that's that's why you, you get the idea of like this would actually make a really cool movie, and then right. then you get Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> right. So, yeah. But yeah, no. that truck is absolutely its own character, and that's another quintessential '80s thing. Where well, just just movies and TV in general up until you know, I guess in the '90s is probably some of the last time you got that. But where cars were a huge part of. Um, a story or a plot and not, not just as a vehicle itself, but just the character of that vehicle. I mean, this one obviously right. had that iconic, you know, Marvel green goblin 
face on the front. I mean, it's, but that's very, very indicative of the time. And it's awesome. It's absolutely amazing. Like that's, that would have been a cool truck to have as a kid. Oh yeah, absolutely. I guess we're now we're at the rating, uh, midnight watch. I, I'll go for myself. It's not a midnight watch. There's definitely parts of this movie where it slows down and you're kind of just waiting for the next spectacle to happen. Cause this movie doesn't have a story really. It's more of just like, um, series of events that happen in this oh, and, totally. and they're fun but the the parts that connect each event to an event is very badly done and uh, sure. you lo- lose a lot of steam and like the whole scene where the they, they first introduce the newlyweds and they stop and then they get attacked like that seems really fun and exciting um but it's just like yeah there it's a series of sequences and so I would say, no, it's not a midnight watch, but though there are parts in it that are really fun to watch. So it depends on, for me, it depends on where it is. I might watch like 15, 20 minutes of the movie and then go to bed. Right. But um, yeah, so nope, not a midnight watch for me though. What about you, Josh? Uh, well, my, it's funny because my uh, reasoning that it is a midnight watch for me is actually exactly your reasoning, except for the positive part of it. I do love that it's just a collection of random events and almost every event is watchable to me and i think also this movie did not let me down and when i went into it like i'm really gonna like this movie and i Mm. i did i absolutely loved it so i had the uh, the high bar set for this low bar movie and (laughs) (laughs) and it reached it (laughs) and it reached it they went to new to new depths and uh yeah so actually i New heights of lowness. Right. And none of that makes sense. Anyways, I I really, really liked it and um just so many good parts that I yeah, I would say this is a is a midnight watch for me in its in its disaster piece theater. Oh yeah. I think this is probably I might say this is probably maybe the the worst movie that we've reviewed so far. Like just in terms of Oh yeah. Of just it's a bad movie. But Yeah. But is it enjoyable? Absolutely. But it, then again, it depends right. on why you're watching. Are you watching it because it's cheesy? Oh, 100%. It's super hokey. Yes. It's cheesy. Yes. Um, yeah. No, I definitely recommend this movie. It's so much fun. Especially like if you just want to kick back and laugh at just absurdity, like definitely watch this movie. It's it's right. it's just it's a classic eighties and another cult it's movie. another good watch watch party movie. It's another yes. great one to put on with a bunch of friends and have some Ooh. drinks and some snacks and just have a really fun time with this movie. Yes, absolutely. No, I totally agree. Totally agree. Um, where did you watch where did you watch this movie? Where did I watch it? I believe I got it on iTunes. Rented it on iTunes. Nice. Uh, I rented it on Oh, oh no, no, I, no. I no. didn't. It was on Prime. We both yeah. watched it on Prime, I think. It was free. Right. It was well, yeah, it was covered if you well, have a I mean, oh. we pay we pay for Prime, so yes. <laughs> yes, if you have a subscription. We didn't pay extra for this movie. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We did not rent this movie technically. But yeah, we both have a subscription to Amazon Prime. And I watched that. I would buy this movie, dude. I definitely feel I like would too, man. This is a, a this is one worth having in your collection. Yeah, if you come across this in like the $5 bin at Walmart or something like that or a garage sale, absolutely snap this one up. If you, man, if you could find this on VHS, that would be... Oh, awesome. that, would, that would be freaking dope <laughs> for real. Yeah. Of course, it'd be great if you had a VHS working, player. Working but, VHS player. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's funny. I was actually re- researching um, some different 
VHS tapes because just for collectors, just to be fun to to get. Like for example, yeah. I was trying to, I was wanting to get a copy maybe of Dead Alive on VHS. Dude, those oh, prices, yeah. those prices are going up. So yeah, VHS. well, it's become it's become a collector's thing. It's like yeah. how NES, Nintendos, uh. Where I mean, you could buy an NES and like ten years ago, or actually, it's probably man, we're getting Long, old, dude. Longer than that, probably yeah. fifteen years ago, you could buy on eBay and an NES and like a box full of games for like thirty bucks, and now it's like just the NES by itself is you know one hundred and fifty bucks, and then the games are you know oh. just depending on the game going up all over the place. So right, I, VHS yeah. is definitely going that direction too. The nostalgia of it is incredible i remember spending so much time getting rid of vhs 15 yeah. years ago right the and great purge. trying <laughs> the great purge trying to get you know everything on a dvd and then everything on the blu-ray or and it's yeah it's ridiculous and now some of those like you said you wish you had them i mean we just right. alphabetized our entire blu-ray and dvd collection and trandy and i were both like didn't we have this movie on something and then a lot of them we realized were on vhs and we had never gotten them on a newer format but right no it's definitely Anywho. it's definitely you're right it's definitely collectors because don't throw anything away don't throw anything <laughs> away <laughs> there's a reason hoarders are <laughs> what they are <laughs> hoarders have it going on <laughs> you're right <laughs> yeah minimalists are the enemy no i'm just kidding yeah, that's right okay yeah. <laughs> That uh, wraps up today's episode. Special thanks to our sound producer, Jake Colvin. If you guys had as much fun as we did on this episode, we would love it if you shared it with your family, friends, and anyone that you think that would like it. Yes, please subscribe, rate, review our podcast. Uh, They can be found on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, just about every other platform. Also, we'd love it if you would visit our Instagram or Facebook pages. Uh, We're also on Twitter. There's not much going on there, but yes, we are on Twitter. And uh, we'd love to have you join our conversation on hashtag what is your midnight watch. And you can reach us directly at the Midnight Watch Podcast at gmail.com. That's right. Thank you guys so much for listening. You have a fantastic week. And as always, keep up the watch. Keep up the watch.